The Flywheel, an Amazon podcast by Celix. Welcome to The Flywheel, an Amazon podcast hosted by two Amazon strategic account managers, PPC experts, and automation geeks. Whether you're a seller, an Amazon agency, or a vendor, we have seen it all, and we're here to talk, discuss, and share. My name is Tommaso. My name is Courtney, and welcome to Flywheel. Hi, Courtney. How are you today? I'm doing well, Tommaso. How are you? I feel that I have no updates. Being stuck in quarantine means that my answer to this question is the same every time. Every episode, I can say I'm surrounded by snow, I'm stuck at home, and here I am writing podcast episodes and managing PPC. That's what we do. Yeah, that's literally what we do all day, every day. And uh, last week was kind of a, an exciting time since we took uh, our first uh, customer question, customer request. So we thought since we talked about bread and butter PPC, and truly PPC cannot be reduced to just bread and butter. It's a little bit more complicated than that. Here is bread and butter PPC part two. How about we start with a little bit of a recap on what we talked about last week? Yeah, excellent. So uh, basically last week we talked about KPIs, right? So what did we cover last week? Yeah, so we just talked about the origins of PPC, what PPC is, right? pay-per-click advertising. Uh, we talked about key performance metrics, impressions, clicks, orders, CPC and ACoS. What do they mean? How to read them? We talked about the famous uh, Amazon Onion, the layered structure of Amazon campaigns. That's what we call it here, the flywheel. And we also talked about the three families of keywords and the Amazon real estate, which should lead to the topic for this week, which is budget and campaign structure, right? Right. So uh, even though we covered a lot last week, and I think... Tommaso, you and I were discussing beforehand that this is actually, even though it's supposed to be a basics of PPC, it's much more complicated than that. And we're trying to boil it down to something that's a little bit more conversational so that if you're newer to PPC or you just need a refresher, um, these are kind of the basics of what we what we think about. But obviously, it can get really complicated really quickly. Um, and one reason why I bring this up is because some of the things that you can control when it comes to PBC are necessary for you to actually control because it can get so complicated. So something as simple as like a campaign structure and how to group products together. Yeah. That seems really complicated, uh, but then also doesn't seem that complicated. But if you do it right and if you do it thoughtfully, that can help with performance beyond any of the KPIs that we were looking yeah. at. And in my experience, whether I've been working with a very small seller or a huge agency uh, that manages, you know, hundreds of accounts at the same time, I think that campaign structure and just how you set everything up can change your performance a lot. So this is true, like whether if you're new to PPC, you are in the right place. But also if you work in an agency and you think, you know, you've got it all down, you may learn something new from this episode. Because one of the things I've learned from working in the Amazon world is that there's a thousand ways of doing things on Amazon. All these Amazon self-professed Amazon gurus will tell you that there is only one way to do it right and there is the perfect strategy 
but we know that that is not true. So what we're trying to give you is more of a framework, right? Yeah, we're trying to say, hey, here's one other way to think about it. Uh, and I can see how it's important to kind of nail down how to do something. Um, it, it helps people if you say, this is how you should do it, right? That gives people some security. But it's just, there's too many variables there. And right. the way that your products are created, the way that your entire you know seller account is created, that kind of all goes into play here. And so campaign structure with how you group products together, the way that I like to do it is based on backing up into the keywords. So that's what I always think about is if I was an Amazon shopper, and I am an Amazon shopper, what is the keyword that I would use to find this product? And can I group my products together based on those keywords? Now, a lot of sellers will say, but the problem with that is that my profit is different between these two ASINs, even if the keyword is the same. But to me, that doesn't really matter because that keyword leads you to your product at all. And then it's up to the consumer to decide whether or not they go for you know the three pack or the one pack or whatever it is. So I always think about the customer first, uh, customer obsessed, and I think about those keywords. And then I group my ASINs based on those keywords. Now, later, I can always do something a little bit more creative. But just at the foundation, right. that's how I'm doing it. Yeah. And you taught me something that I kind of keep close to my heart whenever I, I go into a new account. It's this very simple concept of if it's searched the same, advertise it the same. Or put it in the same campaigns. And I've met so many advertisers that love to group by margins. And every time I meet somebody that groups by profit margins, the campaigns don't work. It, it's okay to have some sort of organization maybe based on your profitability, but it's a lot easier to, as you say, be customer obsessed, focus on how things are searched and make it an averages game in terms of profit, ACOS and ROAS, right? Right, yeah it kind of creates a momentum there. If you, if the account as a whole is organized in that way, the difference between the profit margins kind of evens out in the end. Um, that's why I like to, yeah. to think of it that way. And there are some exceptions to this, right? Like for example, one of the things I've learned is like the book category. I work a lot with uh, book publishers and I know that every book is different. Every book is searched the same. So that is one use case where it's okay to have one ASIN per campaign. But, uh, what do you think, Corny? Do you think there is an upper limit to how many pro the maximum number of products you should have in a campaign if they're very similar? Yeah, this is a great question because I worked in what Amazon calls soft lines, which to Amazon is soft lines, to the rest of the world is clothing. Mm -hmm. And uh, they you could have, because of the child-parent relationship and the color variations and the sizes, you could have you know, hundreds of ASINs that are all a t-shirt. Right. <laughs> so uh, when I first started, I just kind of put them in there um, without really thinking. And now I kind of have a little bit more of a, a thoughtful strategy. So I'll cherry pick the child ASINs based on the, the popular sizes um, as much as possible. But it's always, you always have to look at the data too, because one thing is if you're in the vertical of soft lines and you have any kind of like special sizing, so whether you have uh, like larger sizing or petite sizing, a lot of people on Amazon are shopping for those particular kinds of products because Amazon does carry them and brick and mortars may not. So even in that situation uh, where I said originally, oh, leave out those extreme sizes because everyone needs it. Everyone's going to be clicking on a medium. 
there may be a reason why you want to actually advertise those extreme sizes, but you always look at your search term report and that kind of helps you decide whether or not that's worth it. Um, but I guess to, to simplify it, I'd say, I guess like 20, like if you were going to say, absolutely, what is it? Yeah. I feel like 20 is kind of where I'm at because even if you look at your report, you're going to notice that the bulk of the impressions are going to the top. Yeah. And another thing that I kind of keep in mind, I, I like that you have this kind of threshold of 20. Another way to think about it maybe is also in terms of a fraction of your budget. If you have, if you can only put $1 per campaign per day, you know you're not going to be able to support maybe 20 products, right? So yeah. see it as a fraction of your budget. If you have, you know, you split your budget by how many uh, products you have per day and look at how much you're investing per product and whatever feels right to you, that should give you an indication of that's too much, that's too little, right? Yeah, that's excellent. That's an excellent point. And you can always, you know, add those ASINs. So you can organize your campaigns and you can kind of lay out your foundation, your blueprints, and you can say, well, let's put all of the ASINs in the campaign, but you don't have to run them all, right? right. You can pause them. So if that kind of helps you organize it in your head, uh, that's something that I would I would actually do, especially in like um, soft lines where I would just add them but then pause them immediately so that I'm kind of keeping to that fraction rule. Yeah, and I want to bring up something that you have made that has served me very, very well in the past year. You wrote an amazing article about naming convention, kind of like a blueprint on how to name your campaigns. Uh, tell us more about <laughs> why naming having a good naming convention is so important. Yeah, I am weirdly passionate about this. Uh, the naming convention, again, there's so many things that we can't control on Amazon. So many things. But what we can control is what we name our campaigns. And that can be really helpful because it allows you to use the text filter in the Amazon UI to your advantage. But it also helps you use software like Celix to your advantage. Because if you have some sort of standard naming convention, you can start to analyze your performance based on that. So you can do something as simple as type in broad because now you have a standard naming convention in which all of your ad groups that have broad keywords in them say broad. And then you can compare the performance of all your broad ad groups against one, one each other. So the things that I look for when I'm doing a naming convention is uh, I want to make sure that I include what kind of ad it is. So sponsor products, sponsor brands. So I'll do SPSB or sponsor display SD. And then I'll also do if it's auto or manual. Now, the filter in uh, Amazon will allow you to filter by manual or auto, but I can also just now have the secondary option to search just in the text right. filter, which is pretty fast. So the other thing that I look at is if it's the match type. So I'll add that to a naming convention. And then kind of my overall strategy that we'll talk about in a minute. But I'll make sure that if it, the keywords that are inside the campaign are brand related, I'll make sure that I name my campaign brand. If it's category, category specific, I'll either add category or kind of the clustering of what those keywords are. So uh, if I'm looking at uh, something like plants, uh, if I'm going after like a generic like houseplant or live houseplants, that will be kind of my indicator of houseplants. But if I'm going after Monstera and all my keywords are Monstera, then I will put that as my in my name. The thing I don't ever recommend is uh, an ASIN because nobody remembers what an ASIN is. You're not right. going to be able to just remember your ASIN and then have that show up in the text filter. Uh, I don't recommend... Uh, adding anything super long. So I've seen sometimes people will add like 
the title of an ASIN into the into the name for maybe their own purposes of reporting. If something's really long, that makes it pretty hard. Right. So I wouldn't do that either. Have you ever seen anything that people add that kind of goes against? Look, whenever I see numbers, that's a huge red flag. And yeah. I, I, I am a big fan of uh, naming convention because it happens to me all the time that you know a new client comes on and they ask me, Tommaso, can you take a quick look at my account? Tell me what's going on. Tell me what my campaign, how my campaigns are performing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I go in and all I see is numbers or yeah. codes and maybe a word or two. And the thing is this, having a good naming convention allows you to look at your campaigns and know exactly what's going on, analyze performance in a more organized way. But also if you resort to the help of an agency, if you go in a software house like Sedlix and you want somebody to look at your account and tell you what's going on and give you advice, they need to kind of, you need to use this universal language used by agencies and all kind of Amazon pros to know what the campaign is doing. And I know that we're talking about naming convention, but we have not talked about yet about completely campaign structure. This will make a lot more sense as we go along in the podcast episode of today. And also in the resources below, we'll attach that uh, article, amazing article that you wrote, Corny. So you can always uh, reference back to it, right? Yeah. I think that's that's making me laugh because you're right. A uh, huge red flag is actually numbers. So if you if it just says you know ad group one <laughs> or uh, yeah account yeah I've seen it all. I've seen zero zero one uh, question mark blah blah blah. I was like, look, I have no I I don't work for you. I don't know what ASIN this is. This is too much yeah. work. But reading SB. Um, category broad oh now i know exactly what or like monster sb monster a category broad i know exactly what you're advertising how you're advertising and what real estate you're going to conquer and with what match type and i can tell you if the numbers of your performance make sense for that type of campaign but otherwise you know everything needs to be put into context and good naming convention allows you to do just that yep so tell me more about like the naming convention and how uh, how you would actually segment your campaign by strategy. Yes. So last time we talked about the Amazon onion, right? This idea that Amazon campaigns are layered. Inside of a campaign, there is an ad group. Inside of an ad group, there is targets. Inside of targets, there is search terms. Now, there is this big idea of, and this is something I'm asked often, is when you're creating all this segmentation, whether you're doing by match type or by keyword type that we'll talk about in a second, is am I going to create a campaign or am I going to create an ad group? And I don't think there is a right or wrong answer. There is just pros and cons to the different strategies. So for example, If you want to have maximum control over the different campaigns that you have, just like I said, you need to create campaigns, not ad groups, right? Because the budget, the daily budget, budget is kind of the way, it's like a car, the budget is the fuel, how much fuel you put in changes how the car performs. If you want to be able to manipulate how the car or the campaign works, you need to change the budget. And having many campaigns allows you to be control and control how they perform. An ad group, there is no such thing as a daily budget for an ad group, so you have less control, correct? And according, correct me if I'm wrong, but there is also a couple of other things that you can control with campaigns that you cannot control with ad groups, right? 
Yeah, so you can also control the bidding strategy. So whether or not it's bid down only, up and down, or fixed bids, that's all done at the campaign level as well. And I always think about performance. I'm always weighing performance. So at the campaign level, because I can do the budget, uh, if the ACOS of that campaign slash ad group, because it's a one-to-one -one ratio in this case, or in this example, if the performance of the ACOS is too high, then I'm not going to give the campaign more fuel, as you would say. I instead optimize that campaign to see if I can actually get a better ACOS at a lower budget. And then if I'm running out of budget still and I have a great ACOS, then I will give it more fuel. And that's one way that you can actually help your overall ACOS. And one of the red flags that I see when I'm looking at campaigns, besides if there's numbers in the yeah. in the <laughs> in the naming convention, is uh, if there's you know maybe five campaigns and 300 ad groups, right. and the client says I want to get a better ACOS. One of the best ways that you could even do that is just to break up those ad groups and have it be uh, and have them be in campaigns. Yeah. And just so that I want to make things fair and I want to say something in support of ad groups and not just by campaigns, one case in which segmenting by ad group can work is if you're working with a limited budget. Let me put it this way. Like if you're working with $100 a day, you have two options. You can have 10 campaigns that have $10 each and maybe they don't get you through the end of the day. Or you could have five campaigns with two ad groups each in which or, or every campaign has 20 bucks, which is double. It may get you through the end of the day. But the con is that you are going to have a little bit less control on how your money spent, where it's spent. But it's something to think about, right? Yeah. And I actually, I'll add another con. Uh, when, from the agency world, one of the jobs of someone that's managing your accounts, if you have outsourced your campaigns to be managed by an agency is pacing. So someone literally will look at your at their accounts every single day and make sure that they are pacing a daily budget to match that monthly budget. And the more campaigns you have, the more risk there is in understanding that pacing. So it's not true that just because you have a $100 a day budget, on Amazon that you're actually spending $100 a day. We've all seen that. And so if you have tons of campaigns, you may not actually recognize where you're not actually hitting your budget. And you could get this fluctuation of impressions that just naturally happens from Amazon. Maybe more inventory is released. Maybe there's a goof up. And suddenly you're outpacing and now you're, you've overspent your client's budget. My worst nightmare. Uh, when you have more campaigns, you put yourself at risk of that. Keep that in mind. Keep these things in mind. But since we're talking about how to segment things, let's jump into actually by what criteria you should segment your campaigns other than your product, other than your ASINs, right? And we kind of summarize it for you into kind of two different ways of segmentation, which you can also combine and we'll talk about that too. One is uh, segmenting by keyword type and one is to segment by match type. Corny, can you please tell us a little bit more about these two different types of segmentation? Yeah, so by keyword type, that goes back to what I was mentioning before, which is I like to think about the keywords and what the customer will search into Amazon to get to my product. And so I will group those together. And beyond just those categories there, you also know that when people search, they're searching by 
a general category. So maybe they don't know what kind of product they want to buy yet or what brand they want to buy within a product. And then sometimes they have a brand in mind. So it might be your brand, lucky you, but it might be your competitor's brand. And so I actually split those into three different categories. I have a branded campaign slash ad group. I have a category campaign slash ad group. And then I have a competitor campaign slash ad group. Exactly. And I always use the, the basketball example is if you're a basketball manufacturer, let's pretend that we're spalding basketball. A category search term for us would be men's basketball, WNBA basketball, kids basketball, so no brand outlined uh, or identified. And then we have branded, so Spalding basketball, Spalding WNBA basketball, and competitor, Wilson basketball, Wilson WA, uh, WNBA basketball. And by segmenting into these different families, you achieve two goals here. First of all, you can look at your campaigns and actually know what each campaign is going to target. Which real estate? Is it your territory where you're going to have a very high conversion rate and where you can expect a lower ACoS? for branded search terms, Spalding Basketball, uh, or are you going to expect kind of a middle-of-the-line performance category search term where maybe you are trying to acquire new customers, not recurring customers, because they're not searching with your brand name? Or are you spending money to go and conquest your competitor's real estate by targeting Wilson Basketball, trying to steal some of their customers and make them loyal Spalding customers, right? So this not only allows you to just keep everything tidy, manage your budgets and say, I'm going to dedicate 20% to conquesting. I'm going to dedicate 50% to acquire new customers, 30% to defend my territory and just keep close my returning customers but then once you look at your performance because you know you're going to expect different conversion rates when you see a super high ACoS on your competitor search terms or your competitor campaign you're not going to freak out you're going to know but then if you see a high ACoS on your branded then you know that something is wrong and you may have to take action exactly yeah this is such a key way to look at your performance and it's again, something you can control. It's just how you structure your campaigns that'll give you so much more insight into your performance and into what needs to be done. And there's nothing more satisfying than if you're a small brand and you take your branded key terms or search terms and you put them into a brand only campaign. And then as you mature on Amazon, you can start to see how many impressions people are looking for when they're looking for your brand. So maybe they started off by looking for just hot sauce and then they found you and they converted and they loved you so much that they looked for hot sauce by name the next time. And then you just get more and more impressions as time goes on. And that's something that Amazon doesn't really tell you. So you can actually get that data from advertising if you just structured your campaigns that way. Exactly. Exactly. And like you're also going to see it in the articles that we're attaching down below in the naming convention. This is going to be reflected into it. So, for example, if you we have all of our men's basketball in one campaign, it would be SP, uh, sponsor product, men's basketball. One is category, one is branded and one is competitor. Different budgets, different performance. Right. Yeah. Uh, one other thing I want to mention to this, just because uh, this is probably a good time to bring it up, is that that conversion rate conversation, that's why this is clutch. <laughs> so you want to be able to kind of group your keywords by that conversion rate. 
because when it comes to software like Celex, you're actually using that conversion rate to put your target ACoS in. So conversion rate and target ACoS are actually kind of related in that way. So if you have similar terms that are converting at the same amount, then your average of that ad group is going to be pretty similar. You're not going to have a keyword that's super low converting mixed in with a keyword that's super high converting. And that means that your target ACoS is now somewhere in the middle yeah. and it may not be, it doesn't need to be there. And, and as a rule of thumb, branded terms should be about 10% ACoS. For category, 20 to 40. If you're a protein powder, definitely on the 40 right. side. If you're probably basketballs, much closer to 20. And then competitor would be 60% ACoS. And this is just benchmark. This is just like, those are the numbers to start off with. Right. And then let the data tell you whether or not that's achievable. And I love that you're talking about this because in, if you migrate this into statistics terms, you're trying to minimize your standard deviation to reduce the error in your calculations and in the what the automation is doing. So by keeping it segmented and keeping the averages tight, you're actually helping any automation tool that you may be using and making better, more accurate and precise decisions. Tommaso, I love it when you talk nerd. It's hey, so we are the Amazon geeks, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but let's not forget about the second type of segmentation. Uh, I want to talk about that as well. And it's about segmenting by match type. And segmenting by match type means segmenting by auto, broad match, phrase match, and exact match in separate campaigns or ad groups. And this comes very handy if you're doing keyword harvesting. Courtney, do you want to... Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so if you're using keyword harvesting, this is one of the best hacks that you can do. So you're taking what's working in your auto campaign and you're creating two or possibly even three uh, campaigns total where the same ASINs will exist. I call them sister campaigns. So you have your auto campaign and then you have your manual campaigns. And you're taking the keywords that are getting orders from your auto campaign and you're harvesting them into your manual campaigns and you do it based on orders. So you're basically taking what's working and you are making sure that you're taking and including those as, as keywords. Now, you can do this in many different ways. You can definitely go from an auto to a broad to an exact. You can go from an auto to a phrase to exact. That's all customizable. But essentially, you're doing the work of making sure that whatever's whatever Amazon has identified is a keyword that will convert for you, you're just automating that process. Before automation, there was somebody that had to, to do that behind the scenes, but now you can have a robot yeah. do it. And we're going to talk a lot more about keyword harvesting in the next episode. But for now, just know that you can basically segment by either a keyword type or by match type. Now, if you're really a pro... And I know of all the clients that I have, I think I know only two agencies that do it this way. You can do both. And that's kind of like this pro setup where you combine both the keyword uh, segmentation and the match type uh, segmentation so that not only you have everything very cleared out based on the strategy, but you're also doing keyword harvesting. This would entail basically creating not only a campaign for each category branded and competitor, but each branded uh, competitor and uh, uh, category would also have a broad and an exact campaign or a phrase campaign and kind of dividing those even more and then connect them through an automation tool. 
if you it's very hard kind of sometimes to visualize this structure so in the description below you're going to find some resources or you're also going to see a slide that we use all the time that kind of shows what this pro setup would actually look like mapped out yeah i would say it's pretty varsity level uh to do both and it's not it's you're not doing it wrong if you've chosen not to do it that way but if you have someone look at your campaign, they're going to be looking at these things. If someone had me audit their account, I would look at the search term report and I'd try to see, are there people searching for you by brand name and do you separate that traffic out? And if you don't, that's one of the easiest things that we can do is we can just separate that right off the bat and that should help with performance. And you know, if this sounds really confusing and you're, you're kind of understanding and you're looking through the additional resources, there's also something new that Salix is offering where we're doing something we call managed onboarding. So because this has become like second nature to me and I know how to uh, segment this traffic and use Salix automation to get it all set up with, you can actually, uh, use some of the resources from Celix to help with that. So if you're interested in it, uh, you can always reach out through the website and mention that you heard about managed onboarding uh, through the podcast. Yeah. And Courtney, to be honest, like whenever I talk with clients, 90% of the times when somebody says, oh, something is not working, this doesn't make sense. I look at it and it's a campaign structure problem because that's where all the problems are created is when you set something up not in the right way. So if you are looking to kind of step into Amazon advertising with the right foot, do reach out because we do have a lot of resources, a lot of knowledge that we're, we're willing to share and we can help you get started with Amazon and succeed in the long run. Yeah, uh, I often think that if you just lay a good foundation, that can fix so many problems down the road. And so foundation is is probably key in all this. And it goes back to what I've already said, which is there's so much we can't control on Amazon, but we can control something like your campaign structure and the foundation of how you advertise. And you just have to be a little thoughtful about it. And there's already, someone has already invented this wheel. So you can just borrow what's already known to work well and customize it to your own needs. Wise, wise words, Courtney. And uh, I think this is a perfect place to kind of wrap up the episode for today. We talked about a lot of topics. This is kind of part two from last week's episode. So if you missed that, make sure to go back and listen to uh, part one of Bread and Butter PPC. Uh, Next week, we'll talk more in depth about keyword harvesting. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening in. You can send us questions, of course, through the Anchor app, through a voice note, or just email us directly at theflywheel at sellix.com. Leave us a comment, follow us to get updates on new episodes, and we will see you next Wednesday with a new episode of The Flywheel. Thank you, everybody. Have a good day. (laughs) 